0: Welcome to episode 251 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode, we review the NRL and NRLW Grand Finals. We check out the World Cup squads and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. All right, welcome to episode 251 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, how are you doing this week? I'm daddy
1: cool. Dr. T, how are you doing? (laughs) I
0: am... (laughs) Coping the three-game suspension and not paying the fine. <laughs> yes. That's what I'm doing.
1: That's right. That's right. That's
0: well, well, well. I, if you hadn't already noticed, guys, I am over the grand final this year as an Eels tragic. I'm sure all of you Eels fans out there will recognise this uh, coping mechanism, emotional coping mechanism uh, through humour uh, because if you uh, – <laughs> If you do anything else, the uh, what we saw on Grand Final day this weekend uh, would would uh, bring you to tears. Because uh, as a Niels fan, we were, I have to say, for seventy five minutes we were terrible. Mm. Um, well, mm. let let me backtrack a little bit. It yep. wasn't so much that we were terrible. Uh, we were, and there are reasons for that. We can go, we yeah. will go into it. Yeah. We will review all, uh, the men's and the women's grand finals. Mm. Both had really, uh, really were fantastic games. Yeah. Um, not if you're a Niels fan, but, mm. but in general, if you're a fan of rugby league, you would definitely be a fan of what you saw. So mm. much positives to come out of and drama to come out of NRL grand final day but as a Nils fan, oh, geez, we, we left probably, I would say, our worst performance to last, I think. And and the Panthers left their best to last. Um, and you can never win. You can never do that on a grand final. You'll get punished, especially with a team as good as the Panthers. Um, so we're going to talk about not just, not just that, but we're going to kind of uh, review the grand finals, but also look a bit at the fallout both for the Panthers and for the Eels, uh, Mm. because there there have been some interesting narratives to come out of this grand final. So uh, I think we should explore that a little bit. And Mm. then we're going to talk about the World Cup squads because we're going to, you know, it's going to start next week. The the 2021 Rugby League World Cup is starting in 2022. (laughs) Um, A year late, uh, obviously, you know they uh they had to uh, reschedule cuz of covid reasons last year um yeah so yeah. It's just, yeah interesting grand final eh
1: absolutely absolutely and you know what like uh rugby league right it it is the sport that never gives uh you know never gets tired of giving out right there's so many things to talk about out of this grand final you know it doesn't even feel like the season has ended right? It actually feels like we're still part of the season, even though the season has officially wrapped up, you know, we've got no more in our real games. Obviously, the World Cup starts in a few weeks. Obviously, we're going to be uh, talking a little bit about the World Cup. But, you know, interesting stories uh, coming out of the grand final and crazy uh, going on. Uh, You know, you just referenced uh, Ryan Madison there. Um, But uh, obviously, you know, there was another little incident that I don't think we're are going to talk about, but the Mark McLinden incident. Uh, incident. Do you do you know about that, Doctor T?
0: Well, we I do know about it. Well, we didn't know about it until like yesterday, I believe. Uh, yeah, so yeah. The day before, it, I didn't notice it that there was a uh, I wouldn't call it a streaker, an intruder, a field intruder. Yeah. Uh, on the NRL Grand Final yeah. day, and uh, and and what did we mm. find out? It wasn't just any any old nobody. <laughs> Who was it? it was- <laughs> Mark McLinden, former bro. NRL
1: star, Mark McClendon. Yeah, 1998 Rookie of the Year.
0: Did he give an example or, or a reason why he decided to? Was he was he doing it for? Was it a, a Black Lives Matter thing? Was it a, a, a? It was
1: climate change.
0: Was it a Canberra Raiders uh, lives matter? <laughs> <laughs> was it a Cowboys got got <clears throat> dudded in <clears throat> the semi final kind of issue? What what's the deal? Did
1: well, he have a political you know, reason? He's a Canberra, uh, Canberra Raiders great, and uh, you know there was uh, the Canberra Raiders coach took, you know, th- there's a big rivalry between Canberra and Penrith. You know they they did the Viking clap. Uh, Ricky got suspended after some comments after a Panthers game. You know, um, and then here we go, Mark McClendon, um, a native of Mullumbimby, which is uh, in Byron Bay. Um, yeah, like we're going out there and actually, uh, yeah making a protest and, uh, yeah, as I said, Dally M, Rookie of the Year in 1998. And I've got to say, uh, I did see a bit of the footage. There was some lowly bit of deception um, from Mark McClendon. I-, I was just wondering whether Brad Arthur thought about having him on as the 18th man. Um, <laughs> you know, like, you know, he could he could, he could have substituted. And, uh, look, it's not all bad news uh, for You know, Parramatta, you know, on a personal note, um, you know, uh, Brad Arthur's son got to play his very first grand final. So, um, you know, big, big congratulations to the Arthur family. Uh, you know, obviously dad losing as coach, but son getting some game time, you know. Well, you know, so um, five, not five all minutes. bad news for Parramatta, yeah. You yeah, so.
0: know, we'll, we'll talk about the detail later, but look, it's uh, yeah, you know, and he didn't need to storm storm the field like Mark McClendon to get onto the ground, <laughs> <laughs> he actually had to do it legitimately for an <clears> actual team, but um, yeah, interesting. Look,
1: hopefully, we'll find out what, what on earth that was all about, but anyway, well, um, well McClendon yeah. never got to play in the NRL grand final, but at least he could say. That he got onto the field at a grand final. Um that's
0: right. He can update his Wikipedia page and say, I was there. Yeah, on the, on the ground.
1: <laughs> he was there at the ground, you know. That's right. Uh take that Ewan McGrady, you know, or Gary Larson, you know, take that. He 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 got there one step further. So there you go. What
0: was what was his stats? Was there was it one tackle evasion? Did he <laughs> did he manage to get at least get past one of the security stuff? Because you'd think a former NRL player would be able to yeah, you know, put on a bit of a sidestep and at least get past one. Did he make yeah. a tackle break? What was what was his meters after contact? Post contact meters. What do we know any of the stats on
1: Michael uh, Lindon? I'm pretty sure he's there. There was there was at least uh, three tackle breaks uh, against the security <laughs> guards. Um, so, so that's, so that's
0: more than the eels in the entire grand final
1: against yeah. the Panthers. So his objective was to t- was to chain himself to the post. And he did actually touch the post, um, and I think he got half the chain link around it before the security guards were able to come. And then he just sort of run off, and yeah, and he yeah he stepped a few, and then they they finally got him. So yeah, it was uh, it it was very interesting. And um,
0: wow. Yeah, well, look, I think just, just, just like the media coverage in the last day or two, I think we've spent way too much time talking about <laughs> Mark McClendon. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. let's move on to our tackles. And here we go. Our first tackle is the review of the NRLW Grand Final. Here we go. All right. So the Newcastle Knights in the NRLW were victorious, 32 points to 12 in the end, running away with the victory against the Parramatta Eels. Although I think the scoreline flatters the Knights because I think the Eels were, uh, you know, were very, very much in this game. Uh, tries to Kiana Takarangi, two tries to her, uh, to Emanita Paki, Romi Totsul, Tamika Upton, Jesse Southwell and Yasmin Clydesdale. Uh, it was, f- uh, and for the Eels, it was Brooke Anderson and Simema Talfa, the captain, uh, scoring tries. And it was 14-6 at halftime. So mm. the Eels are very much in it. And in fact, with uh, with a try soon after halftime to Talfa, it ended up being uh, 14-12. to for a period of time and unfortunately from the 63rd minute, as soon as the Knights uh, put on uh, a try, they they scored three in six minutes and, and ended the Eels' hopes of a famous victory. But the Knights fully deserve this. I think they played, uh, you know, the def- big defence wins the big games and the Eels threw mm-hmm. everything at them, especially in the early part of the first half. Uh, sorry the early yeah. part of the second half um to to come within two points uh, there was a period there where you, you i felt that the eels were gonna uh, run over the top of the knights but they they're amazing some amazing defense uh, goal line defense really uh you know I, I would say if you're even if you're an eels fan you would say the knights fully deserve this um look it, it was a precursor to the men's grand final but they still count the attendance. The number of people that were there sitting bums on seats, watching this game was 42,921 and they were treated to a a very high quality women's NRL match. And and I was very, very happy to watch this and, and uh, my, my beloved Eels, you almost did it, but unfortunately you just, uh, yeah, I think the, the, the previous game against the minor premiers, the Roosters kind of took it out of them uh, and, and they kind of fell away there towards the end. But Tish, the Knights, it is their maiden premiership in the NRLW. Congratulations. What do you, what are your thoughts on this match?
1: Yeah, look, uh, look, totally agree with you. I think this was a great match. Um, You know, it was the Knights, as you said, uh, very early, they were under pressure and I think Parramatta did well with field position and as well as, you know, uh, being patient and they did look a little disjointed I've got to say with the Panthers. Uh sorry with Parramatta. They they certainly they certainly did that and uh but then you know that they, they clicked they scored the first try. They were in the lead. Um and then but the, the problem was as soon as uh, Newcastle were able to mount a bit of an offense. I mean in the first raid into the the Parramatta it up touring a try pretty easily, so I think Parramatta probably probably the defence unfortunately worked um, for them the way they wanted to work out. But look, I think yeah, it was a great it was a great a- exhibition of of uh, women's rugby league. It was great to see that the um you know two teams were playing in the grand final that never played before, and obviously Newcastle winning it through. And you know next year the the se- season expands again to ten teams, which is also very exciting. Um so so hopefully you know obviously more great women's rugby league to come. Um you know I thought also this is kind of interesting but like you know the first few minutes um in in all you know I th- I'm just trying to look at the the stats cuz from from memory what what I recall about this game is that you know when the game was very free, free flowing Parramatta definitely looked like the better team but then when there was you know uh, but then the, when the penalties started mounting up against Parramatta or the, or when the game actually turned a little bit slower that's when Newcastle with their yeah you know, slightly larger forward pack and more experienced team were able to to sort of dominate so i think i think probably what the Par- Parramatta Eels uh, women's team i think they've just got to keep the game flowing as quick as possible um because they seem to do better when the game is flowing um and, and if they could just keep the the pace up i think they probably could have even won that game so i was a bit of a mis opportunity for them a little bit um with with that said but look um taking nothing away from you know the women's team uh, um for the whole yeah their team as well and i think yeah well done uh, to them, so yeah, I think what a great game. And um, next year, my Tigers—they're in the NRLW, so I can't wait to see them. Uh, hopefully, not finish ninth um, out of a ten-team competition. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'd hope not, but it, it would be good. Yeah, and uh, yeah. How does it? Mean, yeah, Doctor T, you're there. Hello, sorry, something's. Hello, breaking. yeah, yep. Can you hear yep.
0: me? So, what was the last thing you asked? Maybe you might need to.
1: I, I said, um, "It's great to see that." Well, it's it's good to see parent, uh, Penrith not in the competition because they might have won that as well because they won everything else. Okay, sorry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right um
0: maybe we'll take it up shall we continue to tackle number two we yeah let's review general men's grand final here we go all right uh well, the NRL men's grand final, the big show, the big dance, it was all Panthers. 28-12 to 12 was the final score, and I think it flattered the Eels because I think, uh, you know, with five minutes to go, it was 28-0. And that was probably a fair reflection of uh, of the domination of this young Panthers team. In front of 82,415, they scored five tries to two, uh, tries to Stephen Crichton, two to Brian Toll, Scott Sorensen and Charlie Staines. and and to the Eels late tries to Clint Gutherson and Jake Arthur. Um, it was a thoroughly dominant performance. They were leading eighteen nil at halftime. Uh, you know, I can't I can't go by without saying yes, there were some dodgy refereeing decisions and bunker decisions, some really puzzling ones. But I think if you're a fair Dinkum Eels fan, you would say that. Even though you're not, you might be upset about that. It's no excuse in terms of what we saw. I think we were beaten on the day by a much better team, who performed. Uh, you know, I think it's fair to say that that uh, I think it was Nathan Cleary came out and said, "You know, we played the perfect half of uh, of football, or, or something to that effect." I think he said, "We we played the best half of football all year in that that half of the first half of the grand final," and I'd have to agree because I think. Uh, they were just completely dominant. Um, and uh, look, there's a, there's a my. Let me start first of all with overall impressions, Tish, and then we'll hand o- I'll hand over to you for overall impressions. Then we'll kind of dive into some of the stats. But look, essentially, I think where the Eels won and lost this is they, uh, you know, we talk about the Eels being a rocks or diamonds confidence based team. And we saw that in plain sight in this grand final. They, they were out muscled early on. Uh, they were actually pretty competitive early on, but as soon as they they dropped that first try to Stephen Crichton, it was uh, it felt like the floodgates were going to open. It felt like mm-hmm. they they were throwing everything into tackling the Panthers, but they were just not getting enough uh, field position, enough mileage. They weren't um, the, the the Panthers felt like they had much quicker. Delivery from dummy half, they were making more meters over the advantage line. Uh, the eels seemed like from the very beginning they were on the back foot, and uh, and and you know, by the time um, by the time halfway, uh, half time came, it was 18 nil, and it almost felt like a repeat of the 2001 grand final when we were down 24 nil, uh, at half time, uh, which was uh, you know not too far off the way the way uh, uh, we were dominated uh, on sunday and you know the panthers as well they you know they they played very well they did what they needed to do uh nothing too fancy uh in terms of uh, you know just the basics getting the basics right uh quick speed um like i said the eels what i what what i felt was frustration watching them i felt like they were doing one out hits hit ups uh, no second phase play almost at all. In fact, I, I'm going to look at the stats soon and I'll, I'll see if, if it get, gets confirmed uh, how many offloads they had. Because I think they tried to throw the ball around towards the end, but it was just, it was to no avail. I think it was just too late at that point. Um, uh, really, a completely chalk-and-cheese-type performance from the Eels compared to what we saw. Look, even in the preliminary final where they got beaten by a similar score, um, they were in the, the entire game up until the 63rd minute uh, or whatever it was when Mitchell Moses got knocked out. It was This was a completely different uh, performance, even though the scoreline was very similar. Um, the Eels from the very beginning just didn't seem switched on. They didn't do what they needed to do, and the Panthers taught them a lesson. And and they, uh, you know, considering that last year they won the grand final by two points from the Rabbitohs, it was uh, disappointing to see that, the Eels didn't kind of at least uh, take some lessons from that performance and and from the Rabbitohs and look at what they needed to do in the grand final situation. There was also talk about the grand final week being uh, poorly managed by Brad Arthur and his team. So uh, you know a lot of the talk was around, you know, the Eels were acting like this is a this was a a, a normal game of rugby league, but it it was definitely not, and neither is the lead-up to it. So um, the Eels were kind of left wanting. Um, Given how many times I've heard this before, 2001, 2009, and again in 2022, you would think that uh, someone from the Eels would teach uh, future grand final teams a lesson on how to handle the pressure of the week. Um, I don't think it was a pressure thing. I I think they just... uh, were out muscled early on and and just couldn't find their rhythm. And once they they were behind on the scoreboard, it was game over. They this team finds it hard to play catch up. So look a dominant performance. Uh, full credit to the Panthers. Um, we'll talk later about the you know what this means and how dominant they were in the other grades as well because they won all the other grades. Jersey flag. Uh, what was the other one? Um, well, the the other two. Uh, the state cup as well. uh, Harold Matthews, that's it. Um, You know, the four major tournaments that they were involved in, they won all of them. uh, And they were minor premiers in, uh, I think in both the, the, uh, well, they were minor premiers in the NRL and they won both the state cup and the, uh, uh, the state Mm. championship. So look, amazing domination by the entire club this year. Uh, And uh, I'll leave leave it at that, but I'll, I'll hand over to you to give your general impressions of what uh, what we saw on grand final
1: day. Yeah, look the game. Uh, I think let's look at the game. Look, I think Parramatta started off quite in a, in a like innovative. They were trying things uh, a bit off the cuff, a bit. Um, you know, they had a tackle one kick for example <laughs> um, that you know try to disrupt the game, sort of thing. Um, and if you recall, a week earlier when South played. Uh, Penrith, I think South, tried to do the same thing with the um, Latrell Mitchell kicking it back, right, and try to and, and trying to get a uh, kicking duel going <laughs> against Penrith, but Penrith <laughs> didn't. Uh, Penrith did bite. So yeah, yeah, they sort of did that. But look, I think, I think uh, m- maybe I'll just go back a little bit. So um, I noticed this. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to talk about in 2020 the Mel- Melbourne versus Penrith because I noticed when Penrith came out, they looked super nervous and Melbourne came out super relaxed and then they were able to take it out. Um, Last year I noticed that South Sydney were super nervous and, um, you know, Penrith were were very relaxed and I think you saw the same thing. Um, In fact, like Penrith looked so relaxed throughout the whole week, right? They we just, they just did it, but Parramatta looked nervous, right? And, I think the occasion is something that, um, you know, so I think before even the kickoff, you know, they just, they had to get into their game. And when they were trying to get into the game early, you know, what I think Penrith, it was a obviously a, a tactic. They had a disruptor and the disruptor's name was, now yeah, I just forgot his name, Moses Leota. That's it, <laughs> right? So <laughs> Moses Leota, I mean, he was in their face, couple of really hard hits to the point where um you yeah, know the forwards uh, didn't want to take the ball up anymore right right and there was a lot of one out as you said it, it like they you know they started off with a very creative mindset and then it sort of you know as soon as a couple of hard hits and you know the the occasion they just sort of lost that mental battle i felt um yeah, as as soon as the first try started uh you know the first try happened it was uh, a fairly simple try as well from memory, like the Stephen Crichton, he sort of ran away and scored sort of thing. Um, you know, it just, it just looked like they couldn't get back into the game. And that was a bit of an issue. And, and I think they had to think about this too. Like, um, you know, one thing about rugby league, um, you know, we, we sort of talk about, you know, defense wins, premierships, and, you know, this is what you need to do with your attack and things like that. But I think you got to remember that this is a continuous uh, sport, right? I mean, you go from attack to defense and defense from attack and, you know, attack from defense. It just goes back and forth the whole game. So there is a fatigue factor that gets into the, to, to rugby league. But on top of that, it also means that the way you attack affects the way you defend. And then the way you defend will then affect the way you attack, right? So with, you know, Parramatta, right, they knew that, you know, I uh, that uh, Nathan Cleary is going to have a superb kicking game. And they've got to make sure that their back three are going to be well covered or, you know, are are going to be able to uh, withstand Nathan Cleary. But, you know, they did pressure Nathan Cleary from time to time, but not the entire game, right, on his kicking game. So, therefore, Parramatta, they catch the ball. Gustafson's got nowhere to run, basically, because he's fielding most of the kicks. I don't think they dropped. I don't think there was any mistakes from the back. But oh, there was think-
0: Wanga Blake made a mistake for sure. Oh,
1: yeah. okay. Well, yeah. Look, I mean, it was going to happen, right? So, yeah. But but what did happen is that uh, I, I can't remember where Gu- uh, King Gutherson was able to uh, to sort of um, get uh, any any runs. You know, he wasn't able to like if Dylan was, would would return the kick, he'd run twenty meters before he would get get to the line of defence, right? But the defence was already on top of Clint Gutherson as soon as he. Uh, as soon as he caught the ball, right. So I figured that, like you know, you know, Parramatta had to get good at shutting down Nathan Cleary and disrupting Penrith's game. I don't think they came up with that strategy at all. I kind of came up with ways to disrupt the way Parramatta play, but I didn't see any similar tactic uh, done consistently uh, from Parramatta's point of view. You know, they talked about this uh, during the commentary too, right? You know, one of the one of the ideas is to to nullify Brian Toho is to kick the ball to Brian Toho so he's actually running it back and then he can't get out dummy half on the se- on the first tackle run or the first up run and, you know, run 10, 20 metres bumping down players. But then if you look at the stats, you know, who <laughs> ran for 299 metres? Brian Toho, right? They yeah. did it once or twice, but they just didn't do it consistently enough. Uh, so I don't know if the circumstances meant that they moved away from their game plan. Like they didn't, they, they tried to – they weren't patient enough to try and win the game in the 79th minute, if that makes sense, They, which is what they had to have beat. I think that's the way they've beaten Parramatta and Melbourne and all the teams, all the top teams that Parramatta normally beat, they normally beat them by beating them in the last minute of the game type thing. Unless – Unless somebody gets sent off, that's a different story. But they weren't. <laughs> they that they big. grind. They grind them down. Yeah, yeah. They grind them down. They grind it down, and they and and if you look at the Parramatta Par- tries, the best tries of the game were the ones that Parramatta scored, right? And they did score. I think they scored the late consolations. They were both the final two tries of the game were Parramatta tries, right? So yeah. They just like they just had to keep it tight for the other seventy minutes of the game, basically, you know. Um, but yeah, they just they just weren't consistent enough. They weren't dogged enough. They yeah, it was, and I think they just yeah, it was just they weren't mental. I feel like they were. They have the talent. They have the talent, man. You could. There were glimpses where you felt like they had the talent to win the game, right? And they just they just didn't.
0: Uh, but look, of course yeah that's that's a frustrating thing is that we know they've beaten the, this team yeah,
1: during the yeah. year
0: um yeah. and and for all the talk about you know the the Panthers really you know putting their best performance out there on the day i i kind of get the feeling that that to some extent the eels played into that so there's yeah. the flip side narrative which is you can only play as good as your your opponents let you and that's part of it for sure but I think the other part of it is if your opponents are terrible and not playing their their A game and they're not playing to their strengths and they're playing dumb footy. And I'm going to get into some of that in a minute because I felt this is where I feel frustrated. And we have the same yeah. discussions when uh, when the Blues lose to the, the Maroons. Uh, in a similar way I felt that uh you know Mitchell Pierce was uh, was channeling his namesake uh sorry Mitchell Moses <laughs> yeah, sorry. <there> you go. <laughs> I, that was a Freudian slip I, I I was meant to do it the other way around um <laughs> was channeling Mitchell Pierce and he was just continually as you said kicking it to the the danger winger instead of the other side Charlie Staines, where you would think uh you know that that would be the obvious place to tie yeah. that him out. So again, uh, to me, if that was a deliberate tactic that they spoke about, that is has to be one of the dumbest tactics I've ever heard. Mm. Uh, you do not kick to, you know, do not give ball in hand to one of the most dangerous post-contact runners uh, in the competition. Um, what do they do? They kick it straight, straight down his throat almost every single time. No pressure. Uh, again, Mitchell Moses you know, lengthwise, good kicking game. You know, overall I think the Eels actually had a greater greater number of uh, yards in, in the kicking compared to Penrith, but completely ineffective. <laughs> you know, no yep. um no no nothing behind it, not tactical either. Very you know, yep. I was waiting to see. Um you know the try that we saw, was it the Cleary try? Uh, Cleary kicked it to to Crichton. Uh, uh,
1: was it Sorrington? Cleary to
0: Sorensen, no. sorry. Yeah, you're right, yeah, Sorensen, yeah. who split the defence. You know, again, that is the kind of try that we want to see from the Eels, from Mitchell Moses. Mm. We want to see, and they had opportunities. They were close enough. Um, it was just pedestrian attack. It was like we had no real pattern, no real backup plan B. It was just throw, throw it to one side Oh, well, you know, throw back the other side. It was, there was no, um, there was also a lot of too many, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, kind of inside passes from yeah. Moses to Isaiah to, to to, you know, completely ineffective. And I saw this multiple times. I don't know why they kept doing that. It doesn't fool anyone. You know, again, I, I kind of lamented when I was watching this uh, as a Eels fan. Lamented uh, the years gone by when we had, you know. Uh, I think I even reached out to a manly, a, a friend who's a manly fan, and said, "Can we bring back Cliffy Lyons and Jeff Tuvey? Because I feel like this Eels side needs someone like that to just, you know, play what's in front of you. You know, do a little bit of a grubby and, and as you said." Two very clever tries occurred at the very end to the eels because they did that exact thing. They tried something. They did a little bit of a kick uh, inside, or they did a little bit of a, a quick pass, um, something different and innovative. And they weren't doing that at all. The Panthers were able to do that with ease, um, and 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 they also did the right, the the important things right as well. You know, possession wise um completion of of sets, all that stuff. They they were clinical. Uh, so not only were they clinical, but then they had enough brain power to uh to do some clever things uh from from the likes of Nathan Cleary, Dylan Edwards as well was uh, I should mention he was the Clive Churchill medalist. And there was and well one incident well deserving. There was one incident I do not agree with this being compared to the great Scott Sattler tackle in the 2003 oh, yeah. grand final. <laughs> but, but certainly it felt that way to, to a lot of the fans because the Eels were kind of desperate to, to get any points. Um, Bailey, uh, what's his name? Bailey, so- uh, Simonson. Is that his name? Yeah. yeah uh, it was Bailey Simonson. He was, yeah. He, uh, uh, collected a, a clever short kick from, I think it was Reed Marnie actually, uh, potentially, or maybe it was Mitchell Moses, uh, you know, dangerous kick inside your own half across field, but he collected it. There was a bit of a break on. He was running, only had Dylan um, Edwards to beat and headed towards the sideline side and got roundly collected and and tackled across the sideline. Now, those of you who know anything about rugby league and, and the better ways that you can carry a ball, you'll know that uh, what he did uh, was completely, uh, you know, not textbook, um, and and exactly what happened in the uh, Roosters uh, Panthers grand final in two thousand and three, which allowed Scott Sattler to run down the winger and uh, and and tackle him. Um, what Bailey needed to do was to put the ball under his left arm and fend Dylan Edwards with his right arm. It was it was mm. a simple a simple you know it's a rookie error. And he basically had no fend at all, and it was easy enough for a legs tackle to to take him over the sideline and uh, completely nullify and uh, hand the ball over to the Panthers. So again, that was to me that was a typical example of um, not using your brain, not having the uh, the, the football brain to to Do what need, you need to do to get past your player and the doggedness of the, the Panthers. Um, that to me, in all in one 10 minute, uh, sorry, 10 second kind of passage of play, um, typified the difference between these two sides on the day. Um, but yeah, stats wise, I mean, I'm not even going to bother looking at the stats because I think you'll see if you look at, uh, as you said, Brian Tall, most run meters. Uh, Clint Gutherson actually had most run metres for the Panthers uh, – for the for the Eels. When you look at uh, the team stats, you know, it's all about possession, time in possession, completion rates, run metres, post-contact metres. Almost every single stat was won by the Panthers. Oddly enough, offloads, 19 to 6, won yeah. by the Eels. But I think that was all in the space of the last five minutes because they had nothing, <laughs> nothing doing otherwise. Um, and, and so in this case, it was – the number of offloads is reflective of the desperation they had because they were unable to muscle their way over the advantage line. Uh, and uh, yeah, and so look, um, very disappointing for the Eels. I think the other kind of thing to note, uh, a couple other things around Grand Final Day in general. Um, it was great to see Jimmy Barnes back at, uh, <laughs> you know, singing his heart out at, uh, at, an, oh, yeah. at, a, at a Grand Final. Um, that was awesome to see. <laughs> it was awesome to see the, uh, the really great Welcome to Country as mm. well. Um, I thought that was fantastic. Mm. Uh, what else did we see? The uh, Legends
1: Parade of no-shows. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right. That's right. The le- yeah. The, uh, but there, there were some other nice touches as well. I think there was, um, uh, you know, going out onto the field with the players were some uh, I think for the Panthers there was uh, there was a gentleman with a disability and I think he had mm. um, you know it was good that they sort of they were very inclusive both teams really very inclusive of uh, of kids etc. I have to say one of the funny bits at the end when uh, the uh, the players were given the medals um, at oh, the end yeah, happy what was well there's a couple of things what was funny was the uh, uh, well, Dylan, there was commentary around Dylan Edwards. He was announced, but he's he's uh, as the Clive Churchill Medal winner, and none of his teammates congratulated him. In fact, they ignored him, which is a bit funny. Now, I I yeah. would err on the side of I don't think they dislike Dylan Edwards. I think what happened was they were told that he had won the medal, and they probably didn't hear properly that that he had been called to. To jump up i think they were sort of too busy i don't know what they were doing but celebrating and talking amongst themselves it looked really bad though so that that's one thing but what i found really funny was the uh the kids uh the, the <laughs> there was there was a lot of commentary around the very lame uh NRL idea of each player being announced uh when when they announced the uh, the player to go up on stage collect their medal the medal was given to them by uh, these kids representing a uh, a junior club somewhere. I, I forget where it was, and um, uh, and then the, there was an exchange. So the the player would give a pink Telstra hat, mm. <laughs> not even signed, just a cheap yep. pink tel- Telstra hat, to the player to the to the young kid. Usually put it on their head or whatever, and then the kid would hand over the the medal, and then they'd go off and and wait for. Uh, for the NRL trophy to be given to them. What I found funny was, uh, well, there's a couple of things. There was one incident where, uh, who was it? Uh, did you say it was
1: Appy? Yeah, It was yeah. He Yeah. Uh, I did say the kid actually um, took, took the ring, right? Uh, forgot to give him the ring.
0: Yeah. So the ring, not the medals. Yeah. No, he actually,
1: yeah, no. he took the hat
0: and then he walked off. <laughs> he turned around and walked off. And, uh, Poor old Appy was like, "What's going on here?" He had to chase mm. him to get the ring from him. So I thought that was funny. The kid had one job to do and didn't do it. Um, but, but I did find it really interesting that I, uh, we we were watching it and, and trying to compare how many how many mullets do oh, the yes. adult team have versus the mullets that the kids have. And yeah, I think I think I'm I'm proud to say that the Panthers team won that one six five. Uh, there were <laughs> there were five kids with with amazing mullets. There were some that were borderline. Yep. I think Cleary was a borderline decision. I, I still call that a mullet. It is borderline, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah, uh, good to know that the mullet, the future of the mullet, is safe in the west of Sydney. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, look, I've got to say this: uh, Brian Tallhor is is a cult hero, right? He's a favourite among kids, right? Because I I think they're all going for the Brian Tallhall, uh hairdo, right? I think they were, uh, yeah. Yeah, and and uh, look, I even know some young eel supporters who all wanted Parramatta to win, but all wanted Brian Torhoy to score a hat-trick. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, like, wow. you know, like... Wow, that you know, tells you something about our popularity, is eh Yes. Yeah, it does. It shows that mathematics, it needs work in Australia, right? Um, you know, if the if team that doesn't win has a hat-trick score, and the other... Yeah, anyway, so, like, but... But, yeah, but it just shows how popular it is. And, yeah, look, you know, the other thing about the medal ceremony, like, I, I don't know if they've seen this, but they've got, you know, like, there's got players and players' families and maybe some supporters. Like, they make a, a bit of a, like, a, a tunnel. And then so every, <laughs> the player has to high five, like, you know, 10, 15 people before they actually take it up. I, I don't think I've seen that before, right? Um, I, yeah, I think that's, so, look,
0: i, I got to say, I, I look there's many ways that you can run these kind of ceremonies mm. uh that that it was fine I've got to say. i think it was pretty good and i like the fact that the the families etc are involved i think that's actually a great thing because mm. it means that they you know in years gone by you wouldn't have seen that you you know and as much as i i'd like you know we talk about oh you know the days when the the fans can run onto the field blah 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 it's good that there's a bit of order and structure to this and that the actual families who have supported these players get, get to have a part to play. You know, it's great to see players carry their, their, their young kids around on their shoulders while holding the NRL trophy on the other hand and, and waving to the fans. Like, it's good to see, and I, I really do appreciate it. But, um, but look, yeah. And the other thing I, I have to say, the final thing, and you did allude to it, allude to it earlier, but the, you uh, Look, there's Jacob Arthur came on with five minutes to go, had had an assist for one try and scored the other try in the space of two minutes. So well done. With, you know, if only Brad Arthur had brought him earlier onto the field. <laughs> this And this begs the question, the irony of perhaps he left him out of the field up until the 75th minute because of calls of nepotism, when in fact... Had he actually put him on earlier, it mm. might have put M- Mitchell Moses out of his misery and maybe brought a bit of a shake-up to the side. Yep. So I, one wonders if Jake Arthur should have been brought on earlier. I'll leave that question with everyone, yeah. and uh, I'll well, leave the last word
1: to you on this. Well, I'd say that the theme of this grand final has to be parenting. Um, <laughs> <you know. laughs> Let's talk about that next. Yeah, okay, all right. Well, let's talk about it now. But look, look, I think before we just go into the legacy of Penrith and what this means for them, I do have to say that Penrith, they played well. Like, you know, I know we talked a lot about Parramatta and, uh, you know, because obviously... Of you know your your fanhood, but I also think that you know with with Penrith. I mean, you look at this like uh, all running meters was over two thousand meters, right? And post contact was seven thirty six um, versus you know sixteen thirty six to fifteen twenty one. So they won pre and post contact meters against uh, you know their opposition. Um, I know the score line. I mean the score line. In all indication, probably should be even further out, um, you know. But those two late tries from um, Penrith kind of, you know, brought it a bit closer in. And let's be fair; they were the they were the minor premiers, and on the minor premiers by a long way. Um, so, and they beat all comers during the final. So, I think ultimately, yes, uh, we could talk about their attitudes, and we'll I'm sure we'll talk about that coming up. But yeah. a, a very professional performance by para, uh, by Penrith and. You know, um, and I'd say that you know if they keep making it to the grand final, we should expect nothing less from them, because they've shown it that they could do this multiple times, really. And you know, whoever's going to beat them in the grand final, they have to they have to bring their A game, and they've got to take uh, they've got to take this game more seriously than. We'll, yeah, that, yeah, we'll go into that probably later on. Yeah. yeah.
0: I, I, I will, sorry, I will steal the final word from you before we jump to the next tackle. And the final word for me is there was an interesting thing when the Penrith Panthers lost to the Storm a couple of years ago. Uh, some of the players, I believe, uh, you know, stuck around to watch the Melbourne Storm collect their medals so that they could feel the pain and use that as motivation the following year. And there was only, I think, two or three Eels players that decided to stick around. And one of them uh, that I know for sure was uh, Dylan Brown. Uh, Considering he didn't really turn up (laughs) and didn't really play the way, the way we expected him to, it was very interesting to see that here is a player who, and he explicitly stated that he wanted to feel the pain. He wanted to watch the Panthers collect their rings and their medals or whatever, uh, so that he could feel the hurt and it will make him motivated to work harder next year. So I'll leave it at that because I think that's an interesting uh, little, you know, it's a bit like the the Michael Jordan in The Last Dance kind of thing. Dylan Brown's watching going, and then I took it personal. <laughs> and then, you know, and then the next year he, he ramps it up. So, look, we'll leave it at that, but we're going to talk now about the Panthers. Is the, this the start of a Panthers Dynasty. Take on number three. Here we go. All right. So, a lot of talk about obviously winning back to back premierships. Uh, you know, historically, doesn't happen very often. Although it did happen most recently with the Roosters only a few years ago. But um, you know, the Panthers—is this the start of a dynasty? Uh, you know, where? Why didn't the Roosters continue their dynasty? You know, what what's going on? There's a lot to be said for the way the Panthers not only won the the premiership, and as you said, they were minor premiers by by a long way, by a few games at least. And uh, they won all four grades, uh, all four available competitions. They won, uh, and so I think it's a clean sweep. And it's I think it's the first time in the one hundred and fifteen year, one hundred and thirteen year history uh, of uh, of rugby league in uh, in Australia where a team has dominated every single available competition like this. And especially in modern times, I think it's a massive achievement. And and look, one of the, the questions I have is, you know, is it time to consider an NRLW Panthers team? Now, we did speak earlier about the fact that there, it is expanding the NRLW competition. Unfortunately, next year we're going to see a new Canberra Raiders, Cronulla Sharks, North Queensland Cowboys and West Tigers team but no Panthers team, which is which is really odd because you would think that that um, you know it's almost a missing piece of the puzzle there for the mm-hmm. Panthers as a true dynasty is is domination in the women's game. But maybe that will happen. I, I'm sure that if they continue to dominate the NRL, that that, that there will be very loud calls for an uh, NRL. Um, you know, and and wouldn't it be great to see the actual Pink Panthers? the girls wearing pink. I mean, that would be amazing. But anyway, um, the Panthers, is it a dynasty? Is it the start of a dynasty? Is it uh, Has Phil Gould set up uh, this club for success in, in future? We were talking not that long ago about uh, people making fun of him, about, you know, where was your five-year plan? Well, yeah, it took 10 years or seven years or whatever, but look at them now. They are absolutely um you know ticking all the boxes and uh, and I guess the question is will Phil Gould do the same thing with the bulldogs in a few years um but look let me just start with the broad question Tish uh is this a dynasty for the panthers and if so what what are the secrets ingredients for for their
1: success well look, I think the dynasty has already begun. Um, Look, I know the Panthers team players, like, a lot of... They've had criticisms about some of the things said and done. But, you know, I think one of the players did say, uh, James Fisher-Harris, that they are, with all respect to the other Panthers teams that come before them, they are the greatest, right? Which... uh, (laughs) Very interesting comments, but I think it yeah. does. Well, let's talk about that. It's hard to argue,
0: though. Even Mark Geyer said, "Look, statistically, yeah. they've won yeah. back-to-back premierships, and
1: and they've dominated. How could you argue exactly. against that?" And so no, this I, is someone yeah, who was there so, when
0: they won the first time. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So if the if the early '90s Panthers were a dynasty, then these guys are definitely equal to that, right? And I think it is a dynasty, right? That is, um, that is going to 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 be there for a long time because, you know, for years prior to the whole field goal 10 and five years, I remember lots of people saying, hey, what's wrong with Penrith? You know, what's wrong with Penrith? You know, they've got the biggest junior region in the Sydney Basin, but, you know, uh they're not in the final series. They should be in the final series every uh, every year, right? And then, you know, through – and look, field goal is obviously the guy that – you know was the mastermind of it but there was a lot of people that got involved and made it happen too so i think and i think phil gould be the first one to admit that as well by the way so you know it took a lot of people to build the infrastructure that they have now but it's the best and it, it the best infrastructure it, uh, you know coupled with the largest um you know lo- the largest junior area in the sydney basin that they have um they're also in an area that uh, is rugby league crazy, right? And they've got a supporter base, and they've got, you know, kids who want to represent Penrith. They want to play for the Panthers. Um, they want to play for their local team. So they've, they've, you know, they've they've done the they've done every aspect of their club really well. And, and I think Penrith Panthers are probably really. I mean, they're the. They're one of the clubs that the the um, you know they're they're the most passionate uh, around their team, um, and that's obviously the criticism to my team, the Tigers, right? Who have the second largest area in the you uh, know team, and and they've also got another area in, in you know in in sort of inner west as well, and you know they they've they've got to build the same infrastructure. That's that's what they've got to do, um, and you know and then you know obviously South Sydney have had success because they had a very large junior area themselves and, you know, Penrith have been able to sort of do that. So I think all of those play into the factors of, of what they've been able to do. Um There is some disruptors because uh, as I know, <laughs> uh, just because you could produce great juniors doesn't necessarily mean that the juniors are going to end up playing for you um or end up uh, and playing well for you if they, if they do do there um, because, Ultimately, you've only got what thirty to thirty-five spots every year for first graders, um, and then so a lot of these kids that are coming through their system to get their opportunity, they might have to go elsewhere. And I think this is the this is the jigsaw, this is the uh, the roller coaster that Penrith uh, administration need to be able to manage, to be able to. Um, to be able to keep their success moving forward.
0: Yeah. And so I think the, the key for me, just on what you're saying, the key thing is that Gus has established, you know, uh, there's a couple of reasons why, like, what's the difference then in the situation you've just put forward in the near future, you're going to see lots of Penrith juniors go elsewhere because they simply have to, because the numbers aren't there, quite frankly. And, so how is that different to what the situation has been in the past where juniors are poached by other teams? Well, the difference is the pathway. The pathway, a clear, high-quality pathway that encourages the junior talent to stay at the Panthers and to learn the the craft, learn the game, and, and learn with each other, play with each other, and then make, make their way through uh, the system. That wasn't there before, and I think uh, we'll talk about it in the next tackle. But I think that's what the Eagles are missing, and in fact, a lot of the teams are missing. Uh, you know, and I think that's why, as much as people love to uh, to crap on Phil Gould and 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 he's opinionated and you know he's narcissistic and whatever, people say all sorts of things about him. Uh, he is an incredibly strong analyst of the game, understands it very well. And and the Panther success not solely due to him, but I think he was the brainchild of uh, uh, sorry he was the the mastermind and and this whole system is the brainchild of his ideas of how you organize a a club around uh, you know high quality center of excellence academy style you know best facilities. Um, have a good cultural imprint on, on on your fans so that they follow you, you know, have some pride in the jersey, all that sort of stuff. You know, Feel Good has started all that. So we have to give credit where it's due, but we also have to look at who has been there to fill in the gaps. And the gaps have been at that, you know, first grade level. So we have to say you got Cameron Seraldo and, you know, Cleary, you know, don't forget there was this whole kerfuffle with Cleary um, being sacked by, by Gould. And then when he came back, um, that's when Gould left the Tigers. I think he probably was fed up with, you know, the decision to bring Cleary back or whatever, who knows. But uh, you know, that aside, it, it sort of indicates that, you know, Cleary was, the, was able to do what others were not able to do, which is to put that final kind of uh, piece of the puzzle together. Yes, you've got the pathways, and yes, you've got, um, you know, uh, the centre of excellence, et cetera. But what you also needed was someone who was able to deliver the premiership and and to deliver the high quality at the top end, uh, so that the likes of Crichton and Luai, etc., who have played together as juniors for so many years, are actually improving and getting better and better, and earning representative honors and all that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, yes, it is the start of a Panthers dynasty. Yes, I think it, a lot of it has to do with what Gould started, and and what Cleary and Serraldo and others have continued. Um, it remains to be seen. They will be losing Serraldo to the Bulldogs next year. So they will be losing one of the the brains of uh, of this Panthers coaching uh, outfit. I wonder whether the loss of Serraldo is uh, whether whether we're underestimating that. I wonder whether that's that's going to play a big part in in maybe the the Panthers not getting the success that they uh, that they want next year. Um, and and the other thing i worry about and i have to allude to this is some of the discussions that have been had the sledging between the para you know para are our sons you know apicolosus
1: yeah the, uh, a, 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 are, right the tiger's yeah.
0: sledging the tigers you know um, and uh, and i don't i don't count the uh fisher harris comment as part of that i think that was someone sort of saying look i think we are the best of of uh of our club and and i would agree with that but look in terms of the other sledges and especially luai has has been a bit active cool. on social media i think what this, this has done and this is the other thing that could potentially uh undo the panthers dynasty which it looks like is occurring is uh, the Panthers, with that kind of arrogant attitude, are really starting to grate on some NRL fans. And I think mm-hmm. they're starting to become probably the most hated team in the competition. Look, it's already, you know, a few days after after that grand final, and we're still talking about the Panthers sledging the eels on on uh, social media and, and making really dumb comments uh, that are totally unnecessary. And, and I think... As much as, you know, Brandy Alexander was one of my favourite players as I I was growing up. As much as people like him are saying, oh, give these kids, cut these kids some slack. They've been drunk. Uh, You know, they're just celebrating. Winners can say what they like. You know, I think that excuses the fact that, you know, while you have a good pathway, while you have a good system, you are also um, raising uh, men. Basically, you're, ra- you're raising these young kids to become men. And if this is what people are seeing, um, you know, we saw this with the Broncos. We saw this with Alfie Langer, you know, St. George can't play, St. George can't play. But we never heard from that again because we saw Wayne Bennett kind of draw, uh, taking, you know, taking them into line and and reminding them of what they're there for and that they're there to be more than just players. So I just sort of hope that the uh, the Panthers have a good mentor, someone who can sort of take some of these young fellas aside and say, look, just enough of this rubbish. You've won a premiership. Why do you have to say anything about the Eels or anyone? It's ridiculous. Um, you know, are they motivated purely out of jealousy because someone said something in the past about, I think a lot of this comes from, People talking about Peter Sterling in years gone by saying that the Panthers were the little brother of uh, of the Eels. I think that's where a lot of this comes from. And it's like, well, he wasn't doing it as a sledge. I think he was trying to say genuinely it's a smaller club than the Eels. And it was at the time. But now I think it's fair to say that the Panthers have turned it around and they're becoming dominant. Now, does that mean you need to say... Uh, you know, really bizarre comments like "Para are our sons." I, as far as sledges go, Tish, that's got to be one of the lamest ones I've ever heard. Uh, but anyway, um, so yeah, over to you for last comment about the Panthers dynasty. Uh, mm. Is this going to become undone by by some of these these
1: arrogant attitudes? Yeah, look, I think arrogant attitudes. Um, look, it's stacking up, <laughs> right? So it it doesn't get there ever not so. And, look, I I do want to be considerate because it is also the – it's not just um, the Pen of Panthers. You know, this is kind of the way a lot of athletes in the world like to express themselves as well. So it is a a changing of the way um, society has changed as well. So I don't think it's – yeah, they're just a product of this. You know, a lot of it is that. You know, banter is kind of a lot more common, right, in these sort of things. Um, But, look, what I – I think – I think the jigsaw puzzle, there are some things that uh, could hurt. Like what I think what they have to be careful for is, you know, before the game, you had a lot of players, uh, you know, they're talking about where they played juniors. And there was, I think it's the St. Mary's Saints connection. You know, mm, like you yeah. know, Moses Leo, St. Mary Saints, Stephen Crichton, St. Mary Saints, and Brian Tua, St. Mary Saints, and Jerome Luai, Saint, St. Mary Saints. So the thing is, as they're going to have, because every year they're going to have to shed some players to bring in new young young talent. Like I think that's the plan, right? Um, but you've got Nathan Cleary at 1.4 million, right? The highest paid player in the NRL and the highest paid player in his posi- position, of course. Um, but what about Jerome Luai, right? He's got two premierships three grand finals under his belt. Um, But he's, uh, you know, he's not... Look, put it this way. If you go down the list of uh, highest paid NRL players, um, he's behind Cody Walker, who's won zero in the same position. (laughs) Right. Uh, I think Cameron Munster's actually only won one, but played in two grand finals, I think, something like that. So, you know, he's behind him. He's behind Luke Carey. Um, And he's... um, you know, I sort of stopped looking after 750000 and I just realized, you know, he would be on half of what Nathan is on. And he's the other half of the of, of the halves combination, right? So they'll have to upgrade his contract if he's going to stay. But, you know, um, him and that connection that he has with those other players, not all those players are going to be able to be kept by Penrith, right? So what happens when you have to get rid of one or two of those players? Um, what happens to the team camar- camaraderie w- without them? <laughs> you know, um, mm. because they, you know, it's, it, the, it's yes, they're going to lose players, but it's going to disrupt the way they all play together, um, and and you know, it could get bitter when it comes to who gets kept and who has to leave, and who gets paid more than somebody else, and I don't think it's the best situation by having. Necessarily, coach's son on the highest salary. Like I know, I mean, this is kind of the rumours that you have with Parramatta, but I I feel like with Penrith, I think these things. It's great when it's winning, but as soon as things turn around, this could get quite nasty quite quickly, right? Um, on and then uh, uh, yes, you got to. I think that is going to be a disruptor. If you look at the one, the six, um, the nine, uh, the nine, and what the seven. Uh, you know, the the, the key players in in the spine, the number 13 and a power forward. Um, I think other than Nathan, the rest of them, uh, even though winning multiple premierships, are probably uh, underpaid in the market. So when their contracts are up for them, you know, there's going to be big offers coming from teams who are trying to get to where the Panthers are going to be. So yes, they've got a big production line of juniors coming in. Um, but then you know, as 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 the team changes around Nathan and Ivan, that's going to be different. Um, you know, Cameron Seraldo, He, uh, I, I don't know if you've heard about this Top Gun thing, where they sort of um, watched the movie Top Gun, uh, the new one, and then um, like sort of a, a, in a mid-season break, and then they gave everybody uh, like a like a um, a name, like a, uh, like a like similar to what they do in Top Gun, sort of thing. Oh, I like a bad that- name in. Yeah. Yeah, so everybody had it. they like somebody was mo- like goose, and somebody was like somebody was mongoose, and somebody was this and whatever. And then, and then so like when they did that, like it kind of read them up, and that's why they had all those, you know, they had all the glasses and on and it while uh, celebrating because they had a, and I think even they they showed pictures of like the actual, um, you know, everybody had a Top Gun, po- uh, you know, poster of themselves um, in the locker room, so they had a theme for the entire thing. And that was all Cameron Serrano's idea to keep them motivated out of the long season. That's why they're able to be so consistent because they'll have like various themes throughout the season to try and keep themselves motivated. Like, you know, let's, let's, we're in a dog fight. Let's try and, you know, let's try and be the top guns t- type thing. Um, but he's leaving Saralda. So uh, Saralda is leaving um, and Andrew Webster is leaving as well. Andrew Webster is going and being the Warriors coach. So they're, they're the two assistants at the moment that Ivan has. So you're bringing in new uh, assistants and, Obviously, they lost Cleary um, before. Uh, and I think prior to Cleary in the Anthony Griffin era, there was another one that went on to, play, uh, to coach the Titans. just forgot his name. But he was also involved in the Penrith. So they've lost assistant coaches along the way <laughs> as they bring a new answer. So, so I just wondered, all these changes as they happen, I, I don't know how it's going to impact their dynasty. But who knows? Dr. Tower could be all, all wrong. They might, fi- they might have already figured out a way to keep all the players under a salary cap, um, but maybe the sombrero has moved to Penrith.
0: <laughs> maybe instead of a salary sombrero, it is a salary cap mullet.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right,
0: let's let's move on a little bit further east to Parramatta. Tackle number four. What's the matter, Parramatta? Oh. Oh, nothing like some good 80s synth music to get you reminiscing about the good old, the glory days of Parramatta. But look, you know, this one won't take that long. But we obviously we've already talked about the Panthers dynasty and and the lessons that you can learn, that other clubs can learn. You know, you as a Tigers fan, me as an Eels fan, I'm looking with a bit of envy at what Gus Gould has, uh, has started and, and is bearing fruit at the moment uh, in in the panthers club the entire setup is just uh, you know has just improved out of sight pathways all sorts of things that we just spoke about academy um, this I think is uh, is where the eels need to go but there are some other questions as well because I think while it's it's an aspiration I think of, of a lot of the the clubs that want to get to the next level to to look at how the panthers have got to where they are. Um, I think it's important to, to look at as an eels fan, look at what we have at the moment uh, and and make some tough decisions because uh, as I said to you I think um, the fact that the Eels made it to the grand final um, and when they were looking at you know a straight sets uh, you know, knockout um, uh, again, Kind of, you know, it's kind of like a, a Brad Arthur's stay of execution. I think he's uh, he's a, uh, you know, he's been granted a little bit of a breathing space now because of uh, the fact that they made the grand final. But ultimately, I wonder whether that's a bad thing for the Eels because I think uh, I think just the way they performed on the day, uh, you know, the, yes, I think we should be proud of of what they achieved to get there. But I think they didn't really get there in a smooth enough way. I think the fact that they, you know, if you look at all the red flags, their rocks and diamonds approach, um, their inability to handle, um, you know, certain players being missing, their inability to kind of put up a fight until the 75th minute in a grand final, I think is, is really some red flags that the Eels um management needs to look at but i don't think they will because i think there's been quite a lot of history with brad arthur he has brought us up from the doldrums of salary cap issues and he is he's uh, got us there into top four he's now got us to a grand final so i think there'll be a lot of talk around keeping brad arthur around which um you know which bothers me a bit because i think in many ways, I think Parramatta needs, you know, they've already lost some star players. They kind of need a bit of a clean out in, in the back of house. And uh, and anyway, maybe that's a bit of an extreme measure. I'll put it to you, Tish. Uh, as an Eels fan, uh, I obviously am uh, very proud of what they've achieved. But at the same time, I'm very realistic about what uh, what deficits there are in the club and the way they've been poorly run for so many years. And I wonder whether looking to the Panthers as a model of how you can turn the ship around is something that we should be doing. And in which case, the question is, will Brad Arthur survive beyond, you know, beyond next year? Say, uh, Tish, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, well, look, some <laughs> Parramatta got some questions, right? Obviously, losing Grand Final is tricky. Now, like a lot of people are saying, this is this is the last time that they're going to win the like this is the end of the premiership window because I think Reed Marnie is leaving, right? And then, uh, and a few other players, Ray Stone and things like that, but, um, they are getting Josh Hodson, um, who, you know, obviously is a senior dummy half who, you know, represents England, but also, um, you know, has played a grand final with Canberra as well. Um, so I don't think it's quite over for them yet, right? Obviously they've got, Some big decisions about which players to keep and which players to move on. So, I think they do have the personnel, um, like at least enough talent and at least uh, to to be a top flight, a top four team um, consistently. Um, And I think they've had a great final series. They've had their best final series for a long time. They've been able to finally crack the, um, you know making it into the final four and then getting into the grand final. Um something that I haven't been able to do. So I think they've they've pioneered, you know, in the Bright Arthur regime they've pioneered to the grand final, which is great. So that's great. <laughs> but you know, I think the underlying problem that I would say is if you go through round by round, their results this year, okay. Um yes they were the grand finalists, but they're also a team that lost to the West Tigers. Right. They're they're a team in the Bulldogs. They got, they got thirty-four to four against the Bulldogs, right? Thumped don't, by the Bulldogs, right? Don't remind me. Yeah. And and you know what? Thumped by Brisbane, who were atrocious at the end of the season, right? Um thirty-six to fourteen. Uh, um, you know, they didn't score a try against the Rabbitohs in a game as well, like, you know, twenty-six nil. So this whole thing where they're able to play really well against the top teams, but then struggle against the teams you're expected to win. I mean, that's kind of a, a mentality. Uh, you know how you approach the game, how you prepare for the game, um, how you think about the game when you're on the field, overthinking things, underthinking things, not playing in the moment, not playing your best game, um, being rudderless. Like it's your game. You, you, your game. The way you play the game, right? Um, the, your gay mentality, right, um, it, it's something that they need to work on. Is it resilience? You know, you talked about how they're not great at sort of coming from behind, right? Um, you know, is that a resilience thing? But that, they've got to work on how they, you know, how they think about the game as they're playing the game, right? And I think we did see some improvements, I've got to say. Like, you know, I think um, there were some games where, like, for example, I think um, Mitchell Moses, yes, maybe the grand final wasn't his best game, but there were some games where he really showed um, uh, a, a bit more maturity and leadership. I think Dylan Brown was really, really good throughout the season too. I really liked the comments that Sean Lane said, that, you know, Sean, the, you know, the, the person... You know, Sean Sean Lane's biggest enemy was Sean Lane, right? And you know, the more he's tried to work on himself and you know, not you know, and, and work harder at being better, is has improved. So, I, like, I, there's some there there are some positive things that they're doing. But I think obviously, you know, we know that they could beat Penrith. We know that they could beat Penrith where Penrith are playing their best as well. Um, and you know, we I think you talked about it when we were, when we we're talking about the game. Um, you know, you mentioned like that they just, um, you know, they kind of just felt that Penrith were running over top of them, and they, they, and they just kind of let them, right? Um, and they've got to realize that the, you know, an NRL game has swings of momentum, and um, you know, the one way to, you know, if, if the other team is on the attack, and you know, uh, the way to to get the momentum coming the other way is through defense, and and I think they knew that early in the season, but they just forgot it on Sunday, right? So I think I think that's I think that's the immediate thing that they need to. I, I'd say the sh- you know, if we go short term, long term, yeah, long term you're right, Doctor T. I think they've got to figure out the pathways uh, for their juniors. But I think short term, they've got to work on their mentality. And I think where it starts is, um, you know, uh, okay, I'm just going to use him as an example because he kind of out and said it right. But Ryan Madison, right? Um, he's a player that the Penrith pay $600,000 a year, which is $11,500 a week, <laughs> right? And he gets a fine for $4,000, right? What was it? $4,000. Um, yeah. So he could either pay a fine of $4,000 or sit out three games, right? And because he doesn't want to pay the fine, <laughs> right, he's going to miss three games for the for Parramatta. And Parramatta, you know, they, they still have to pay him, Right they still have to pay him, what, 11000 times three? What, $33,000? <laughs> that's the fine Parramatta are paying, right? Um, because they don't get one of their best players on the field for three weeks. And isn't it a case of the player putting himself in front of the club? Um, and I think that's the problem with the Parramatta lineup, right? They've got too many players that make decisions that are good... F- for them, but not necessarily good for Parramatta. And until they could get a nucleus of players that want to really win for Parramatta and not just win for themselves, I think that's what's going to be the key to their success moving forward. So I don't know if I'm sounding a lot like Dr. Phil or Jerry Springer here, Dr. T, but um, yeah, I think it's a mentality thing with Parramatta, is what I'm going to say.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, going forward, I think they need to really get their heads together. They need to see a sports psychologist. That's what they need. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, let's move on to the next tackle, which is uh, tackle number five. We're going to talk about the Rugby League World Cup squads that have been announced. All right. So the World Cup squads have been announced. Let's just quickly go to the women's squad. So we're not going to announce all of them. We're just going to uh, give you some highlights. So look, I think Australia for the women's the Gillaroo's they call them are going to be very very strong. But they have been. Uh, so look, the the squad will uh, have the key players that we all know. Uh, players like Taryn Aiken, Kesey Apps, Ali Brigginshaw, um, uh Players that featured in the grand final, Kennedy Charrington for the Eels, Yasmin Clydesdale for the Knights, uh, who else, Uh, Caitlin Johnson, uh, Isabel Kelly, these are all names that should be familiar to you guys by now, Jessica Mm. Sergis, Emma Tonagato and Holly Wheeler, um, and there's a few others, but interestingly... Uh, a couple of withdrawals. Millie Boyle uh, withdraw due to withdrew recently due to work commitments. So she's actually um, <clears throat> she was had decided that she couldn't get away from her job, uh, and you know for for that period of time, which is yeah. a very interesting uh, decision to make. Uh, you would think that you know playing for Australia is probably the one of the biggest, especially in the World Cup one of the biggest kind of honours. So that would have had to have been a very tough decision for her. Tamika Upton, who obviously started in the grand final, uh, had to withdraw due to a calf injury, and that allowed Emma Tonegato and Shaylee Bent to enter the Jiluru's squad. So I still think they're the strongest squad and they'll win the World Cup. Um, and uh, because we've got a lot to get through, I won't go through the other squads, but um, suffice it to say next week, uh, we'll we'll do a bit of an in-depth kind of analysis of of the the, the games uh, and and give some predictions as well. But moving on to the men's squads, so again, there's a lot to get through. We won't go through all of them, but I do want to highlight some of the key players uh, in some of the main ones. So we'll leave Australia to last, but we'll go uh, we'll go for some uh, some of the uh, the names that we know. So England, uh, in terms of one of the favourites, interestingly enough. One of the interesting uh, uh, developments in this is Victor Radley, as we spoke about recently, um, chose to play for England. So he has been named in the squad, which is which is great. Um, and he seems pumped up about it as well. I mean, he's talked, about, talked it up in the media. Um, there's only one Burgess brother. Tom Burgess is playing... <laughs> We'll be playing, we've got the usual suspects there, Ryan Hall, John Bateman, Sam Tompkins is the captain, Uh, Elliot Whitehead is there, Uh, Luke Thompson, also from the Bulldogs, so we've got the usual suspects there, I think, I can't see Johnny Lomax there, which is interesting, I wonder why, Um, but yeah, so look, England, I think it's fair to say, are one of the strongest squads uh, that have been announced. Tish, do you have a comment on, on England?
1: Well, look, the one that I am a little bit um, intrigued about is Dom Young, because I know Dom Young is eligible for Jamaica, who are making their first World Cup. So, yeah, I was, I was hoping he would defect, but... Um, <laughs> but well, but he go. did it. He <laughs> so didn't. But there you go. He, he didn't. And then you know, Herbie Farmworth. Uh, I think Fatty Voughton's favourite player uh, at Brisbane Broncos. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, he's also playing. So, look, I've got to say, you know, a, 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 obviously it's usually going to be a Super League heavy squad, yeah. um, which which it, which it is. But you know, with all these players now playing in Australia, and you know, more and more uh, English players playing in the NRL, I think I think it strengthens their squad. Um, a lot actually, and then yeah, I, I'm surprised about Johnny Lomax too. I thought he was a, a walk in basically. Um, so yeah, so maybe maybe he's going to be a late inclusion. I'm not 100% sure how what the rules around, but look, I think nevertheless, uh, you know, a top three finish, top four finish on the cards for England, I'd say.
0: Yeah, uh, one of the bolters from the South Pacific, Fiji, your Fiji. We have some very interesting players here. William, Kik- v- William Kikau. How do, you, what's, how do you call his first name? William Kikau, the great Penrith Panther, who is now soon to be a Bulldog. Apisai corusel the Penrith mm-hmm. Panther, soon to be a Tiger. Um, Kevin Naguama is in this squad as well. We've also got Micah Sivo in this squad. And I think those are the key kind of players. Uh, look, I think the the... Fiji will will definitely feature strongly. They've got some good players. Coruscant is the key, I think, because he brings a level of, uh, you know, he can ignite this squad. They don't necessarily need a Nathan Cleary-style halfback. All they need is a player like Coruscant, Kikao to do the damage, Coruscant to give you speed in the ruck, and you never know what they're going to get to. So, look, um, let's not analyse too much, but Fiji, a very strong squad as Mm. well. Uh, probably, I think fair to say, capable of a semi-final, but probably and most likely a quarter-final finish. Yeah. Uh, so good for them. Um, moving along, so we've also got—I forgot to mention—there's also a Cook Islands team. We're not uh, and France team. We don't know too much about some of their players. Um, Greece is there as well. Lachlan Ilias from the South Sydney Rabbitohs will yeah. feature for Greece, so that will be fascinating that will be very interesting i don't know too many of the other players some with uh, i think chase robinson uh from arabidows again some some with south sydney pedigree which is great um ireland will feature as well and ireland has i'm just looking through the squad luke, luke here
1: from
0: yeah. the sydney roosters is going to be there for ireland that will be fascinating um and who else have we got i think those are them i think he's kind of the star player i think it's fair to say he's a star player but i don't think he's captain i think george king is a captain uh there you go italy will play as well uh we've got nathan brown from the Parramatta eels will feature and who else not too many others i don't think
1: stupid john's melbourne storm Cooper Johns, what?
0: I had no idea that Cooper Johns had Italian pedigree. Is that why? Is that why
1: Andrew? Is he Andrew John um, Sorry, Matthew yeah, Johns' like, son. See, that he's he's Matthew Johns' son. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. So 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 was Matthew and Andrew Italian representative?
0: Uh, I don't know. Yeah. And and are yeah. we, are, should we be seeing a World Cup? In the Italian rugby league, uh, you know, ward, uh, wardrobe, you know, what I'm talking about cabinet. Uh, should I, should we be seeing it? I don't know. Um, but yeah, look, well, John's I've is got it here. There. Uh,
1: John's qualifies for Italy through his mum's Trish's Italian background with wow. dad triple M grill, Maddie John's. Okay, all right, yeah, yeah, there we go. So, <laughs> yeah, there we so go. Sorry. The, yep. he,
0: yeah so he had to throw in his um his sponsor as well there you go look <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so look Italy uh, look I don't know how far they'll go but uh interesting I think they'll they'll uh, have a good showing Jamaica is there as well we won't go too much into that I don't know of uh, who's the star player there. I'm having a look I don't think there's anyone that I recognize there. Lebanon will have Adam Dewey from the Tigers. Um, is Mitchell Moses? No, I don't think Mitchell. Oh, he is. He Mitchell is. Moses has been announced for Lebanon, which is great. Um, and uh, Reese Robinson, formerly of the Parramatta Eels, will be mm. there. Um, look, a pretty okay squad. I think they'll they'll do well and they'll surprise a few teams. New Zealand. All right, New Zealand is going to be a real danger here. I think potentially winners. Uh, up there with, uh, I think, the the Kangaroos. Um, you know, look at the informed players of, you know, you've got Moses Leota, you've got Jerome Hughes, you've got um, James Fisher-Harris, Dylan Brown, you know, lots of great, Joseph Manu. I mean, you've got lots of players that would be considered, you know, almost the best player in their position. Um, you know, so th- that will be a very interesting uh, so I'll go through very quickly, actually, given that New Zealand has so many NRL stars. We've got Sofa Solomona, Jesse Bromwich, Kenny Bromwich, Dylan Brown, James Fisher-Harris, Kieran Foran, Peter Hiku, Jerome Hughes, Sebastian Chris, Moses Leota, Isaac Liu, Joseph Manu, Jeremy Marshall King, Ronaldo Mulitala, Charles Nicol Klockstad, uh, Brighton Nikora, Marata Niukore, Isaiah Papali, Jordan Rapana, uh, or wrap it up, Brandon Smith, Scott Sorensen, Joseph Tapine, Jared Warrior Hargreaves, and Dallin Zelesniak um, the If there was a World Cup given to uh, players with the most hyphenated surnames, <laughs> the New Zealand team would win it hands <clears throat> down because I think I counted six. Possibly yeah. there's more. Um, I think it's. I think it's.
1: I think it's a Art um, uh, Oa uh, Dash New Zealand. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> AOT Aurora slash New Zealand yeah, yeah, Um. look, and they'll be very strong Papua New Guinea is next And look, Xavier Coates is one of the key stars there. Alex Johnson from the South Sydney Rabbitohs Lachlan Lamb, mm. Justin Olam uh, This is a pretty handy squad And I think Yeah, uh, well I think they're
1: two know, best wingers Like <laughs> in the NRL
0: two, two of the best wingers in the world One of the best centres <laughs> yeah. You know uh, Look, is that enough to win you games? I don't know. <laughs>
1: to win the World Cup, is that all you
0: need? I don't know. You never know. I mean, I yeah. think they they could be a bolt up for for a semi final spot. I think. But look, the next team I want to go through, who I think will be a clear uh, favourite for a semi final spot, is uh, Samoa. Um, so have a listen to this. In terms of the players that they've got, I won't go through all of them, but they've got Stephen Crichton. Uh, Chanel Harris Tavita, Oregon Kafusi, Spencer Lenu, Jerome Luai, Taylan May, Tyrone May, Anthony Milford, Josh Papali, Junior Paulo, Jaden Suwa, Joseph Suali'i, Hamiso Taboy Fido, Isaac Tago, Martin Taupau, Brian Ta'o. um Amazing. <laughs> I mean, that's mm. that's a, a a very very strong squad, and to me. You've got Milford and Jero- Jerome Lua in the halves directing traffic, and I think this is a very strong squad. Uh, later, I'll talk about Tonga and you'll compare and see, given what Tonga's done. I think Samoa stacks up very nicely, at least on paper. Um, Scotland, we've got Ewan Aitken, uh, some of the main uh, sort of star players. Ewan Aitken. Uh, who else do I see? Uh, I'm not seeing anyone else of, uh, uh, of NRL with an NRL background. Um, but, yeah, so Scotland I think will do okay. Interestingly, you know, how will they match up compared to Ireland with Luke Kiri? Who knows? Um, Tonga. So some of the key names for Tonga, you've got David Fafida, Adam Fanua Blake, uh, Will Hopawade, Comrade Horrell, uh, Felice Cafusi, uh, who else? Jason Tamalolo. Jason Tamalolo is there, obviously. Will Pennicini, Moses Suli, Sia Sifa Talikai, and uh, Sia Suatakiah, Daniel yeah. Tupo. Look, you've got a team there again of pretty strong backline. Mm. I'm not sure whether the halves uh, are enough, but let's not forget, it's not, not just about the players. They're going to be coached by Christian Wolf mm. and who has just come off four consecutive premierships from St. Helens. So a very strong pedigree there. I think he'll oh. get them riled up. And again, he was there when they defeated the Kangaroos, and he, he uh, coached them then. So, And finally, yeah. well, not
1: finally... Uh, well, look, oh, with, sorry, with Tonga, ahead. I know Tonga, look, Samara on paper looks stronger than Tonga, but Tonga has obviously done better in recent years. I think having Lola here and Sonny Luke, um, who is the dummy half for, you know, the for the Panthers and will be the first grade dummy half next year, I think just having a bit of direction is all I need because they have the power and they have the speed out wide as well. So just have to watch out for any any rainbow-colored jerseys on foot. <laughs> That's probably their only <laughs> kryptonite,
0: yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Wales, uh, not not a very strong squad, I don't think, but they've got uh, – f- it's a very, a very uh, Super League heavy uh, squad. Mm. I can't see any from NRL, actually. Um, but I'm going to end up with the Australians. So I want to just quickly go through this and then get your thoughts on how strong this is compared to the others that we've heard. So we've got Josh Adokar, Matt Burton, Reagan Campbell-Gillard, Patrick Carrigan, Daly Cherry Evans, Nathan Cleary – Lindsay Collins, Reuben Cotter, Angus Crichton, Tino, Campbell Graham, Harry Grant, Valentine Holmes, Ben Hunt, Liam Martin, Luttrell Mitchell, Cameron Munster, Cameron Murray, who is vice captain, Jeremiah Nanai, Murray Talagi, James Tedesco as captain, Jake Trbojevic, Jack Whiten, and Isaiah Yeo. Um, that's a very, very, very strong squad. Um, and, uh, you know, you can't really go wrong. Like, especially... Look, my interesting comment there is uh, uh, Cameron Murray was named vice-captain. I think we were all expecting uh, James Sadesco to be named, you know, first to be named at fullback and captain. But Cameron Murray as vice-captain means that Dudley Cherry Evans is not vice-captain, which is what I would have expected. And I think this paves the way for Nathan Cleary... To be given the nod as Australia's halfback for uh, as a first choice halfback. What do you think, Tish?
1: Yeah, look, I think that's probably the case because, um, yeah, um, both not getting the captaincy or the vice captaincy uh, for DZE, I think it just gives them the options of choosing the halfback, right? Because uh, neither Nathan or DC are captains. Because they were also... I suppose even Nathan clearly he hasn't played for Australia yet. Um, well,
0: Danny Cherry Evans captain Queensland, so I fully yeah. expect with him to be there. And the fact he's not uh, even a vice-captain where he has been yeah. in the past, uh, yeah. like I said, I think it's a red flag there.
1: Yeah, and I think Isaiah has also been ma- named a vice-captain as well. Um, from memory, there might be another one there. That, but yeah, because I, I know there was two... That Melmany. oh, was eight. there
0: two? I oh, and you thought there was Cameron Murray. Anyway, we'll look into yeah. it, we'll find out. But look, the other thing was Dylan Edwards as Clive Churchill medal winner. I think a lot of people were saying, <laughs> Yeah, how could he miss out? Well, if you look at who's there, <laughs> who can cover fullback, you've got you know, Valentine Holmes, James Tedesco. Um, you know, you can even throw in Cameron Munster. Uh, who else have we got? Uh, as well- Quite well, a few the, fullbacks. So I don't think we need anyone else. So I think I think it's right to not necessarily take Dylan Edwards, uh, considering we need coverage in other areas. But anyway,
1: well, what about what about the Dalian winner list? Uh, winner Nico Hines, right? Uh, he's he hasn't he's been overlooked as well. Um, well,
0: again, I mean he plays primarily halfback or five-eighth. But if you've got Daly and Nathan Cleary and Cameron Munster and Ben Hunt, who could potentially fill multiple roles, why would you go for anyone else? Um, You know, and the other omission I've got to say is Damien Cook, who was incumbent, has been uh, shafted for Ben Hunt and Harry Grant as the hooker um, option. So, you know, lots of players, good players have missed out, but I think it is a bit of a changing of the guard. Josh Adokar made it while he didn't make the State of Origin. He's probably the only... Uh, The only one in that situation So I think Mal Meninga sticking strong With Josh Adokar I think will pay dividends Because he is a superstar And will do very well but um, let's see how his Defensive lapses can Be curtailed uh, and Dealt with and managed so uh, um, Yeah I think this squad Will play very well we'll we'll talk More uh, next week when we uh, Go through the predictions but Let's go to our final Tackle shall we tackle number six Our tips All right. Our tips, so after grand final day, you got three out of three, Tish. You got the Panthers, and Knights, and the Panthers, and I only got one out of three, the first Panthers uh, state championship, which takes me to 146 and you to 149. But I also wanted to use this tip section to take a look back at some of our crystal ball predictions. Um, and most of them have been completed, except for one that's still in play. So firstly, we've got predicting... The uh, top eight, uh, and you got six out of the eight. I got five, so well done. Predicting the NRL grand finalists. I predicted the grand finalists, Eels and Panthers. Unfortunately, I predicted the Eels to win. Uh, you predicted the Eels and the Roosters, and so I'm going to give you half a point yeah. for that. At least the Eels made it, so that's good. Uh, well, the Eels, were, the Roosters probably would have had a chance, so you know, I'll give you half a point for that. The halftime entertainment, both of us were wrong. I think you were saying uh, Ariana Grande and Ed Sheeran. I said Jessica Mauboy and Guy Sebastian. It <laughs> yep. Looks like we should have just gone back to Jimmy Barnes, the basics. Yeah. <laughs> state of Origin, state of Origin, we both predicted New South Wales, so we get zero points for that. Um, And uh, predict the biggest NRL news story of the year. You predicted the Eels will win the grand final as the biggest news story. That didn't happen. But my one is still in play. I'm predicting surprise World Cup champions Tonga. And so that could still happen. So I'm going to leave that one open. So potentially I could get one point for that. Predicting the biggest RL scandal of the year. You predicted a cyber hack that caused the end of the NRL bunker. Um, unfortunately, only if it was sponsored by Optus would Optus. that have happened. <laughs> yeah. But no, you were you were almost there, but not quite. So so zero points for you for that. And zero points for me because I predicted the social media scandal involving Ricky Stewart and one of the Raiders players' wives or girlfriends. Now, I was close. Ricky Stewart yep. was involved in a scandal calling someone a weak gutter dog, but that is not the same. So even though it was – look, the crystal ball, I think we both need to kind of – Wipe it a bit mm-hmm. clean and so we can see a bit more clearly because I think uh, we were kind of almost there. We were in the ballpark of, of particular scandals, but not to be, um, and certainly not the biggest R- RL scandals of the year. Predicting the first NRL coach to be sacked. Um, now, you predicted Trent Barrett. I <laughs> predicted Todd Payton. My God. Who ended up being coach of the year? I so don't believe me. But well. Trent Barrett did get sacked. Unfortunately, he wasn't the first. It was Nathan Brown that was the first to be sacked this year. So uh, we we no points for, for us, unfortunately. Predicting the biggest NRL rising star. Now, you predicted Tyrell or Tyrell Sloan from the Dragons. I predicted Nico Hines. And I would... I think I'm Mm. going to give myself a point for that because he won the M player of the year. Definitely a rising star, has risen to the top. So well done, Nico Hines. The Renaissance player of the year. So this, I guess, is a player that, uh, you know, a comeback of the year kind of thing. Mm. You picked Jackson Hastings from the Tigers. I picked Jack Bird. Now, Jackson Hastings did have a little bit of a comeback, but I don't think it's I don't think it's enough. I think it's fair to say, yeah, yeah, I'd agree. but but he had definitely the makings. I I think. Look, I think he might he might be in play for next year. Renaissance Mm. player of the year because I think he's sort of down in the doldrums again. But look, predicting the biggest NRL hero of the year, you pick King Gutherson, I pick Mitchell Moses. Unfortunately, the grand final didn't uh, didn't uh, eventuate that way. So zero points for us. And finally, the NRL villain of the year, <laughs> I picked Daily Cherry Evans. Tish, I'm going to read word for word what you said. Panthers Young Guns. I am going to give you the point for that because up until the grand final, I would have said no. But since the grand final, literally in the last few days, the Panthers Young Guns have been... Uh, have quickly turned the rest <laughs> of the NRL fans against the Panthers. So I I think it's fair to say that, look, while we talk about the refs and the bunker being some of the villains of the year, I think the Panthers' young guns are really doing, uh, doing it well <laughs> to take the mantle. So I'm going to give you a point for that. And look, after all those points, and noting that I've still got one open for me with the Tonga uh, prediction, that takes... Uh, that gives you seven point five. Gives me seven. So you are up to now one fifty six point five, and I am up to one fifty three. Keeping in mind, we have predictions for the World Cup, which mm. I think what we'll do is we'll predict the Rugby League World Cup games, group games. Initially, we'll do them as a batch, and then we'll do uh, each each week as the finals roll around. Uh, so I think we'll do it that way. But, yeah, look, I'm still in the hunt. I'm only three and a half points behind you, but uh, with a few games to go in uh, the Rugby League World Cup, who knows? But, look, Tish, I think we've spoken too much. I think this has been an epic episode. We've covered a lot of ground. You know, grand final reviews generally cover a lot of ground. But uh, thank you so much for your insights today, as usual, Tish. I will leave it to you to wrap things up, uh, and uh, we'll see – Everyone next time. Tish, yeah, over to well, you.
1: well, I'd just like to say rugby league, crystal ball, I'm your father. <laughs> <laughs> right. By, by point five points. By point five. <laughs> five, point five. <laughs> <laughs> but look, that's all the time that we have for this grand final edition of the Rugby League Republic. Uh, join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.